Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. Let me ask you this, friend. Is it a good thing to have a fear of the Lord? Well, the term fear of the Lord is mentioned 30 times in Scripture, and the vast majority of occurrences are in the Old Testament. But there are, however, well over 100 references to the fear of God in a positive sense. Now, what does it really mean to have a fear of God or the fear of the Lord, as it's sometimes presented in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament? Well, let me tell you right now that the word fear in the Hebrew is usually either pakad or yira. Pakad means terror, dread, or the literal emotion of fear that one experiences in a dangerous situation. The other Hebrew term for fear is yira, and in contrast, means piety, a state of reverence, worship, or awesomeness. So which one of these terms best describes the Father in heaven? The answer is both. We have to remember that God is love, certainly, and that phrase is mentioned twice in the Apostle John's first epistle, chapter 4. But God was mentioned as holy long before he was ever mentioned as loving, and few people wish to consider the mystery of the holiness of God. The Apostle John later went on to document God's holiness himself in the book of Revelation by witnessing the seraphims that surrounded God's throne, proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come in Revelation 4.8. Remember, God's love is both nurturing and corrective, but today people only seem to want to focus on the nurturing side of God. In fact, God is called holy in his word more than any other attribute. Holy is indeed the epithet, most often affixed to his name, and our reverential fear or respect for God comes from understanding his holiness. Friend, if there's one thing missing from today's society, it's a sincere fear of the Lord. Another way people place love above holiness is claiming that Jesus went around preaching love and acceptance. They say Jesus went around preaching love and acceptance to everybody. He never judged anyone. Really? Is that really true, my friend? Was Jesus really like that? He was certainly a man who expressed friendship or the companionship aspect of love. He was both passionate about the truth, no doubt, and certainly had compassion for many people. And he was moved to act by delivering them from bondage. He also expressed the agape love from the Father on numerous occasions, but he was not preaching acceptance of everyone in their sinful condition and acceptance of all behavior, which is the way in which modern-day progressives like to describe our Lord. No, friend, that's not how it went down. In fact, Jesus was far more confrontational than people give him credit for. He would not back down when the truth was questioned by religious leaders of the day, and he regularly confronted the hypocrisy of Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes especially. Friend, we should have a reverential fear, just as Jesus expressed a reverential fear of his Father, but he was rooted upon a strong, loving, agape relationship, founded upon the mutual respect and unconditional love for one another. 
We should worship God as the majestic creator of the universe and harbor a sober respect for him because of his limitless capabilities. And our best means to express our love for him is to obey his commands. To obey him, our Father, our Lord, is to express our love for him. The most pertinent example I can offer is that of an earthly father. Growing up, if you had a loving father, you knew he loved you unconditionally. He would express that love to you with affection. He would reassure you verbally and spend time with you. But there were also consequences for bad behavior or disobedience. Of course, this is not the focus of the relationship, and any father would be very reluctant to chastise his child. But on occasion, if warranted, chastisement in the form of verbal correction or even spanking was implemented. Yes, I said it, that dirty five-letter word, spank. The gentle tap on the buttocks, which some people think is on par with terrorism. I see it in the grocery store. A mother will shout out to her young child, you do that one more time, you do that one more time, you do that one more time, and I'll... And the child's like, what? What are you going to do exactly? You've already proven you're not going to do anything. The child is already called the parent's bluff. The parent has demonstrated to the child that they're not going to follow through with a threat of correction and not only promoted further disobedience, but a complete disregard for the term consequences. Friend, a child that's not corrected is not loved. Proverbs 29.15 says, But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. This reverential fear or respect for parents and ultimately God, the ultimate authority figure, could be summed up by the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew 10:28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's talking about God the Father, who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Wow, friend, what a sober warning we should heed from Jesus himself. Our God is to be loved, respected, and feared. Friend, there are consequences for not receiving Christ, and they are too terrible to imagine. Pastors don't talk about hell anymore, and consequently very few people believe it even exists. But friend, I've got news for you. Hell believes in you, whether you believe in it or not, and awaits your coming unless you know Christ as Savior. In Isaiah 14:9, in the NLT, it says, In the place of the dead, which is hell, there is excitement over your arrival. The spirits of world leaders and mighty kings, long dead, stand up to see you. This is very sobering, friend. I don't even want to talk about that topic, but it's in the Bible, and I have to. It's my job. Now, people love Jesus. They can imagine what he looked like. He walked the dusty roads of Israel, Judea, and Samaria. But who exactly is the Father? They're just not sure about God the Father, and especially the mean God of the Old Testament. They think that any moment that Old Testament God's going to smite you with his big stick. He sits on his big white throne with his big white fluffy beard in a grumpy mood all the time, ready to smite you with his smiter. That's how some people think of God, friend. Now, did you know Jesus was the exact representation of the Heavenly Father? The same loving and compassionate Jesus who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil was the exact representation of God the Father on earth. Remember, there is one God with three personalities. Friend, we don't serve a schizophrenic or capricious God, as some people make out we do. Uh, They say, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure about God the Father. He's like that Old Testament God in a bad mood all the time. No, friend, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. We don't serve a loving Jesus and a mean God, no. Remember what Jesus said to Philip in John fourteen nine. He said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how say you then, show us the Father? It also says in Scripture that Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. 
And Jesus goes on to say in John 15:24 about the goodness of the Father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. So if you love Jesus, friend, then you love the Father. And if you hate Jesus, you hate the Father. That's what the word says. They are one and the same in terms of their character. Now, while we're on the topic, a special shout out should go to some biblical characters that are explicitly said to have exemplified the fear of God in particular. After Abraham obeyed God's command by showing his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, an angel of the Lord declared to him in Genesis 22:12, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. In the case of Abraham, he was willing to sacrifice something so treasured as his own son because he loved God so much and sought to do his will above all else. That, friend, is a great example to us of what the fear of the Lord means. It's sacrificial obedience to God, almost to the point where it hurts. Now, there are two observations here. Number one, God was merely testing Abraham and never intended for him to actually slay his son. Number two, few people remember that Abraham believed in the resurrection of his son, who was a type of Jesus to come. In Genesis 22, 5, it says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Friend, Abraham's own testimony shows that he believed that even after Isaac was sacrificed on the altar, that both he and Isaac would return to the young man waiting with the donkeys. Wow, friend, that is powerful. That is the correct reverential fear of the Lord we should have that's deeply rooted in trust. In another example, Joseph, a man of utmost integrity, attempted to allay his brother's fears with a comment, I fear God, in Genesis 42:18. God himself twice describes Job as blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So what do we learn from this? Let's recap. Number one, the fear of the Lord will cause you to make sacrifices in your life for the Lord's will that may be quite difficult at times, but God will ask you to do so knowing he has a plan for your blessing and not harm. Number two, a fear of the Lord will prevent you from succumbing to peer pressure and prevent you from sinning. It will restrain you. Having that reverential fear for God will be a restraining force. And number three, finally, the fear of the Lord will cause you to run from and discard evil as an option. Friend, the fear of the Lord is a fundamental quality of people who know and obey God. I want to list for you real quick some of the blessings mentioned in Scripture regarding the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord lengthens life. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Isaiah 33.6, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord there is security. Psalm 112.1, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Exodus 20.20, the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Proverbs 14.2, he who walks in uprightness fears the Lord. Psalm 33.8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Friend, I think it's fitting for me to end this broadcast with the final words of King Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes, which pretty much puts the fear of the Lord in the right perspective. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And that's Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 through 14. Notice fearing God and keeping his commandments are one and the same. We don't keep his commandments like robots who have no choice in the matter. We keep his commandments because we love the Lord and seek not to grieve or hurt him. Yes, friend, we can even grieve the Holy Spirit, and we should choose not to do so. What better way to express your love for the Lord than to obey his commandments, just as a child wants to obey his or her parent? If you fear God reverentially, you will choose to cooperate with this process of sanctification in your life, and that, by definition, is voluntarily choosing to be conformed to the image of his dear Son, Jesus Christ, which is a process in your soul until you leave this earth. And in closing, by sharp contrast, under no circumstances, friend, should we fear Satan or his cohorts, as we have authority over them. I've touched upon this many times in previous broadcasts. We're to submit to God with reverential fear, and to resist the devil, and let the devil flee from you in terror. Friend, this is a message on the fear of the Lord, but I want you to get the right perspective. We have such a loving Heavenly Father. We're not supposed to cower in fear because we're already in right relationship. When we're judged in heaven, we're not going to be judged about our salvation because it's already assured. His mercy endures forever. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button 